Welcome to the Authentically Kind Podcast, where we talk about being a good human. I'm your host, Michelle, and on today's episode, we're interviewing Jennifer Montgomery about the challenges and importance of having boundaries as a kind person. Remember, you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Authentically Kind, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you're getting the latest episodes. Let's get started. Well, I'm very excited to be here today with a friend of mine, Jen Montgomery. Uh, She and I have known each other for a couple of years now through some different avenues, and lately she and I have been talking offline a lot about boundaries and how do you have boundaries as a kind person. So that is what we're going to dive into today. So I'd like to turn it over to Jen to see if she'd like to say anything about herself. Okay. Hi, my name is Jen. And I'm a recovering codependent, and um, I'm also an ethics attorney for the state of Connecticut and a proud public sector labor union steward, um, and I'm also a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I haven't recovered from that. <laughs> I, it's, a, it's a work in progress. As they say, your recovery is lifelong. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Um, I actually saw, I think I tagged you the other day in an Instagram quote that said, for those of us who don't do boundaries, every day is a new day to start. So I thought maybe we could start there. Like, I feel like for kind people, especially since this is the Authentically Kind podcast, it's really hard to have boundaries and it's really hard to not be a people people pleaser all the time at the expense of yourself. Um, so maybe we can start out with you helping us know what your definition of kindness is. So I want to, I'm going to, um, kind of use a great anecdote from my therapist's office. Um, my therapist, Dr. Cohen, is, um, kind of a remarkable lady, but she's also of the very specific brand of, like, Brooklyn therapist, tough love, really saying it like it is, kind of like, you get no gold star today, Jen, therapist. (laughs) And one day, I was in her office, and she said, I was going on and on about how I was packing a suitcase for my ex-husband, to take my daughter to Atlanta for a couple of days. And I was going on and on about how I had to make sure that she had enough clothes to wear, and I had to make sure she had the right clothes, and I had to make sure she had enough snacks so that she didn't get crabby on the airplane. And Dr. Cohen just stopped me, and she said, Jen, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean, what do you mean? And she's like, why aren't you letting Kurt pack his own suitcase for Rosie? And I was like, oh. And she said, you need to stop doing things for him and you need to pause and you need to ask yourself this question. Is it kind to do it for him or is it more kind to let him do it on his own? And I, it was groundbreaking. It was like one of those moments where I paused and I was like, holy crap. This whole time, I've been like, I can solve this problem. I can make sure that my daughter has the best airplane ride ever. I can make sure that my ex-husband succeeds on this trip. And I just like, I paused and I was like, 
me doing it for him is not kind. Me letting him do it for himself and figuring out how to do it for himself is extremely kind. And I'm like, whoa, saying no can be kind. And it was like, <gasps> and here we are. <laughs> but as a people pleaser, which my therapist actually told me that I'm not allowed to use that descriptor for myself ever. And as a people pleaser, because I am still a people pleaser, but as a people pleaser, I'm like, whoa, whoa, I don't have to be everything for everyone, and I don't have to do everything for everyone, and sometimes me saying, hey, here are the tools, you, you go do it for yourself, is the kindest thing you can do. And I'm still not there, but I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> well, let me ask you a follow-up question about that okay. story. As someone who struggles with boundaries myself, can you explain how it's more kind in that situation to have let him figure it out, figure it out on his own? Because then he can do it for himself forevermore, and I don't have to shoulder that labor. And it's not my labor. It was never my labor, but I was taking it on all in the name of making my daughter's life better. But in reality, if I empower him to do it for himself, then we all win. I'm not shouldering the labor. I'm not doing the work for him. He's doing his own work, and he's learning how to do it forevermore so that he's not anxious about it, so that he doesn't expect me to do it every single time, and so that he can be an effective parent. So it's almost like I was stealing his ability to be an effective parent because I was like, I'm just going to do this for myself because I'm going to do it right and he's not going to do it right. Well, now I've empowered him to figure out his own way, to figure out his own path. So that's how it's kind. It's kind because now he knows how to do it. And quite honestly, that was a little over a year ago. And now he, he does it every time. He takes his family down to Atlanta. He takes uh, my daughter there frequently, and he I've never done it again. And he always does just fine. So, and now, and this is a huge thing for me, my daughter sees that he can do it. Mm. And my daughter knows she can rely on him to have snacks. And I'm sure he's had, you know, we have all had parenting fails. I'm sure he's had his own parenting <laughs> fails, but I had to let him find his way and even maybe fail, and I had to be okay with that, and that's really hard as a recovering codependent. It's really hard to let someone fail and to let them find their own success, but it's kind. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So sometimes saying no is the kind thing to do. That's really hard. It's so hard. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> Can we talk for a quick second about how you refer to yourself as a, um, what, how did you refer to yourself? A recovering codependent. Recovering codependent. So what does that mean to you? So I was in a codependent relationship with my ex-husband who's an alcoholic. He's a recovering alcoholic. And the reason I use the term recovering rather than just a former codependent or a codependent is because I'm working on it. Like, it's a day by day. I mean, that in Alcoholics Anonymous, often uh, they use the phrase day by day, um, and sometimes hour by hour, and sometimes minute by minute. 
It's the same thing with codependency. Sometimes it's every day I have to realize, okay, I'm allowed to just live my own life. And sometimes I need to take a seat and let other people live theirs. And that's the hardest kind of lesson for a codependent is to just like sit back and of course offer help and assistance when your loved ones need it. But sometimes to just realize that everyone has their own path and you don't have to be in control of it. You, you worry about your own, your own self and your own lane and you stay in your lane. And, but the reason I say recovering is because I am. I am working on it. I've been working on it for two years and it's been a journey, but it's certainly not the end of the journey, not even close. Well, I really, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> oh, I'm that too. <laughs> Although I'm not really sure how much I'm recovering, to be honest with you. It's still sort of full-fledged. <laughs> but I feel like at least since I know it about myself, and I would like to lessen it, that that could be considered recovery. <laughs> it's a long process to uh, unlearn ways of acting, ways of thinking, you know. Really? Tell me more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a long process of a lot of therapy. <laughs> I would say you have an, an entire life, you know? So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I'm really, this is just such an interesting conversation because I struggle with boundaries as well, and in part, I think that comes from being raised in a family that did not model boundaries. Um, and my mom listens to these podcasts, so mom, in no way is this a critique of you. <laughs> but, you know, we uh, we don't have a lot of emotional boundaries. Um, and sort of like everyone feels like we should know everything about the other person and, and that sort of stuff. So it's... It's, it's hard for me, and I've had to learn in therapy, and I'm still learning. Like, how, what it, what even is a healthy boundary to have with people? Um, and I love quotes, so I'm just going to share this other one I found, because I, I think this is so true. Kind people have the greatest challenge with boundaries. <laughs> that is, like, that's just, I think, so true, because our hearts are so open and our hearts are so big and we want to help everyone but when we don't have boundaries up that oftentimes comes at an expense to our own self like even for me with my kindness group that I run which I love and is one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life I've had periods occasionally where I feel I don't know if overwhelmed is the word but or tired I get tired and then if I feel like I need a little bit of a break, then I feel bad about it and I can be really hard on myself. So I think that's, for me, one of my biggest challenges with boundaries is knowing what a healthy boundary is, figuring out what that means to me in various situations, and then not feeling bad about it. I, it's funny, I run what I like to call the Underground Railroad the Underground Railroad is a lot of people that are in a similar or same situation with me um, where they're 
basically attempting to get out of a codependent relationship with an alcoholic. And the women <coughs> that I talk to are so wonderful and sweet and open. And it, when I was first starting my recovery period, I had found a woman who was so sweet and open and like basically let me just say everything, put everything on the table and be so open. And it was really instrumental in me kind of getting here. And so I've been wanting to give back. But one of the things that I found is that sometimes when it's like 11 o'clock at night and I really need to go to bed, I and I'm like a half hour or maybe even an hour overdue from going to bed and I will be I will have one of these women in my life reach out and really need some help and sometimes it's all I can do I feel so terrible but I have to be like I have to go to bed now and for a while I was like I'm failing these women and then I was like what the heck, Jen? You are not failing these women. You're their, part of their support system. You're part of their family now. It's okay to say it's 11 o'clock and I have to get up at 5 in the morning. Um, so I'm going to follow up with this tomorrow. And do you have time in the afternoon? We can chat. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. I feel so ashamed. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, Jen, you don't have to be everything to everyone, and you don't have to be on 24-7. But it's really hard, because I want to help people. Part of what I do in my life is try to be, like, maybe everything that helped me. And maybe not at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> like, maybe I have to be like tomorrow or even next Thursday. Next Thursday afternoon I have time to review this um, and help you out with some language for your parenting agreement or whatnot. And that's okay. That's totally okay. In fact, I'm sure the person on the other end, in fact I know the person on the other end is like, oh my goodness, thank you. You know, you're giving me time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but in my head I'm so critical of that. I'm so critical about saying no. And I'm so critical about saying not right now mm -hmm. because and of course I don't expect people to be on all the time and I don't expect other people to be there the minute I need them but I put those unrealistic expectations on myself when I'm helping others it's exactly what I was just gonna chime in and say that I it's hard to not put these crazy expectations on ourselves that we have to be there for everyone like at that exact moment and put aside any of our needs help that other person it's really hard and that negative self-talk that then comes in <laughs> you're shaking your head yes I'm like, I'm like I I'm a failure I can't believe I can't help this person right mm -hmm. now because I have to sleep you know right. or I I was just about to start a run or I have my yoga class that I'm going to or I'm just trying to enjoy my morning coffee mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think yeah it's 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 a lifelong struggle, you know, to be like, it's okay to not be, well, it's okay to not be perfect. Because I, like, strive. It is? <laughs> it is totally okay to not be perfect. I strive. Like, I remember I had a boss at my old job who used to say, 
she was a recovering perfectionist and every once in a while and she was super high achieving just this really brilliant woman and I thought oh she's my role model this is my role model she's so perfect all the time her hair is perfect she has these cute little suits she just looks <laughs> gorgeous all the time she like gives legislative testimony with such poise and one day she was just particularly frazzled and at the end of like a three-hour marathon meeting really high-level legal campaign finance stuff all of a sudden she's like let's not let the perfect be the enemy of the good guys and she like terminated the meeting and i was like yep that's my role model <laughs> sometimes you have to be like good is good enough mm -hmm. and your best is good enough yeah, I actually have to repeat that in my head sometimes, like, good, giving my best is good enough, like, perfection is, is not achievable. It's one of these unattainable myths. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes achieving perfection or even just achieving greatness isn't what's important at all. Like, nobody cares. Nobody cares if you're perfect at kindness. Mm -hmm. People care if you're kind. Mm -hmm. So be kind! <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Although I will say, even something I kind of was struggling with recently as far as, like, emotional boundaries, if I know someone else is going through a hard time, or in this particular situation, I know someone through work who is having a not great experience and I like find that I worry about this person like I'll be just worrying like is she okay oh no like I, I take on other people's emotions in an unhealthy way sometimes and I just want to like feel peace inside I just want to like you know have inner peace all the time don't we all want that but taking on other people's uh, stuff, for lack of a better word, it's just so, it's so hard. It like adds to my anxiety level and it's not even like something I can control. So I have to like really work on separating myself from that and, and create like mental emotional boundaries, um, with other people too sometimes. Well, I was just recently, um, my ex-husband is going through a few stressors right now and a few major life stressors that are totally out of his control but he's having you know a difficult time and i found myself in kind of an anxiety spiral where i was really worried about him and my partner stopped me one night and was like listen this is not your emotional labor you can't do the work for him and I'm like, it, it, I'm not, I'm still not done worrying about him, but it made me pause at least. It made me pause and be like, oh, yeah, because no good is coming from this worry because it's not even like helping him at all. It's just hurting myself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, I mean, it's not even coming close to helping him because it's not like we're talking about it and coming up with like effective tools or anything for him. Instead, it's just me having an anxiety spiral in like the dark of my living room, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, like, uh, how is that constructive for anyone? Um, but, uh, you know, old habits die hard. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard when you take on other people's stress and other people's just, like, poor emotions because, you know what? Life is really hard. And people go through so many struggles. And it's really easy to find yourself hearing about them and getting you know, desperately sad, and I think it's okay to have a valid emotional response, I think it's okay to be sad for them, but not to shoulder their labor, mm -hmm. not to shoulder their anxiety, not to put yourself in a rough place because they're in a rough place, but instead to maintain kind of an appropriate level of detachment, and it's really hard, especially when you're talking with someone that's close with you. It's really hard to remain because we we all want attachment, right? That's what we crave in the universe is attachment to others and like functional, loving, like reciprocal relationships. But at the end of the day, it's not really reciprocal if you're just taking on all their stress and anxiety and then suffering alone with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's That's not helping true. anyone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And actually, in the Buddhist practice, they talk a lot about attachment and the dangers of attachment um, as far as, like, for your own mind, because, like, that's a great example. If you are taking on other people's emotional work, that's going to affect your mental state, and then you're not going to be as emotionally healthy to help other people in your life as well. Um, but it's just such so interesting. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, at least for you and I in this room, <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> there's, like, shame and there's guilt about setting up the boundaries and then sticking to the boundaries. That, for me, is the hardest part because I'll be like, oh, okay, like, maybe I need to work on a boundary uh, around not taking on other people's emotions. But then to actually do it is really hard. And sometimes I have found other people have resistance when you create boundaries. And actually that's another quote that I wrote down that I saw on Pinterest that I'm just going to read because I want to see what you think of this. Um, the first thing you have to learn is that the person who is angry at you for setting boundaries is the one with the problem. Yeah. I mean, and... Well, this, wow, yeah, I'm going to sit with that for a minute. I know, that's, that's <laughs> what I, I was like, I, this is, I got to put this in the podcast, because that's, yeah, so, I mean, have you had that experience with anyone you've created boundaries with, that they've not been happy about those boundaries? Oh, I mean, my ex-husband for certain, Yeah. Um, especially when I was kind of setting up boundaries related to kind of what he was responsible for with respect to his alcoholism and his treatment and his I, I remember I, I remember several conversations with him where I'm like listen I can't do that work for you and you need to do that work for yourself I still remember a very particular conversation that I had with him where he became so angry because he and this is this is digging really deep. He was basically putting on my shoulders his recovery 
and this was just after I filed for divorce, and he literally said, if you leave, then I'm going to relapse. And it was like, it was kind of like a slap in the face because I realized immediately that that wasn't true. That my actions and me setting a boundary and me refusing to do his labor of alcohol recovery had nothing to do with his chance of relapse. In fact, if I remained in the codependent relationship and continued to basically facilitate his lack of recovery, which is what I had been doing for years and years and years, that he wasn't going to get better on his own. Mm -hmm. And it was the hardest conversation I've ever had. And I felt so much shame and so just desperately sad about it and angry with myself because I was like, what if he relapses? What if he relapses? What if he relapses? And finally my therapist was like, he's probably going to relapse. It has nothing to do with you. And I'm like, oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, talk about like all of a sudden stepping out of your own mental vacuum, because I think we always get in these cyclical mental vacuums where we have these conversations with ourselves with no input from others mm -hmm. and those are dangerous. <laughs> vacuums are dangerous. I mean like not the cleaning ones but those can be dangerous too. Um, the vacuums are dangerous because you don't have like the rational the rational person instead you have yourself which sometimes can be rational and sometimes it's very irrational and then all of a sudden you you're like oh that you know None of this has to do with me. It has to do, well, in that case, it had to do with him and his problem. He was resisting the boundary I was setting because he had a problem. It had nothing to do with me. Exactly. And that's what that <laughs> That was a beautiful yeah. way to come back around to that quote. I, I tried. I tried it. That was phenomenal. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, people may be wondering, listening to us have this conversation, like, how can they work on creating better boundaries for themselves? And I think one of the pieces of advice that I would share based on my own work with this topic is once you figure out what you feel like your healthy boundaries need to be, to stick with them and be okay with, with that or whatever the consequences of that are for other people. And in reality, I think the thing that I've learned the most in, I mean, I've only been doing this, I've only been in recovery for two years, but in two years, the lesson that I've learned the most is usually when I play the what's the worst that can happen game in my head, the outcome I envision is so much worse than reality. In fact, usually the outcome of me setting boundaries is net positive for everybody. and. That's a hugely important lesson. Like, not only am I doing better myself because I'm practicing better self-care, I'm getting better sleep, I'm doing more things for myself, still feel guilty about it working on that, <laughs> but honestly, the other person does better too because you're, you're both being functional adults. Right. So you know? <laughs> healthy, healthy boundaries are healthy for everybody that's involved with those boundaries. And when you set a boundary, it helps other people know who you are and what you are. And it helps other people 
kind of realize, oh, well, that's how much she has. Because when you're a people pleaser, and sorry, Dr. Cohen, when you're a people pleaser <laughs> and when you want to be everything for everyone and when you want to solve everybody's problems or at least, you know, give your most, you give too much. So when you set boundaries, you're like, okay, this is how much time I can give to this situation. And this is what I can give to this situation. And I found, actually, I found in my work as a union steward that there are some union members, public sector union members, who are what I like to call energy vampires, who will take and take and take and take and take if you give it to them. But if you say, don't give them your personal cell phone number, if you say, make a set appointment to meet with them and say, I have a half hour to meet with you. Why don't we meet down in the cafeteria? And then at the end of that half hour, look at your phone and say, oh, you know, I have to go back to work now, but it's been great chatting. Oh, I want you to follow up on X, Y, and Z, and I will help you um, in two days compose the affidavit that you need help drafting, you know, or send me a draft and I'll look it over when I have time. And like setting those kind of professional boundaries in my capacity as a union steward, I'm like, whoa, like they don't have unrealistic expectations about what I'm willing to give because I told them. I like literally managed their expectations. Mm -hmm. I said, this is what I can give to you. And then I stuck to it. <laughs> and then they don't expect me to give and give and give and give and give and give. So I've helped them and I've helped myself. And I've helped them help themselves because I've given them some tools and then I've taken a seat. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I would imagine that because you're able to set boundaries like that, you actually have more energy and more of yourself to put into what you're doing. Yes. Because you're not depleted. Well, and also, you know, it's hard as a single parent because you've got your job and you have your primary job, which is, you know, being a parent. And then, like, on top of that, I've taken on, I work for a couple nonprofits, and I've taken on this extra duty as a union steward, and it's just a lot. So if I can compartmentalize and kind of set good boundaries in all of those areas, and now, of course, as a parent, like, a lot of times your boundaries fail. I mean, because, <laughs> like, crap happens. Um, <laughs> And there's unexpected vari variables when you have a five-year-old. I have a five-year-old. So there's unexpected variables when you have a five-year-old. But, you know, if you compartmentalize the rest of your life, that's easier to manage. You know, mm -hmm. you've got, at least you you know what your, your times are. You know, okay, I have to do this. And then, of course, you know, the stomach flu happens. <laughs> and then you have to manage your own expectations <laughs> and revise. Um, but like, you know, the ability to change and to think on your feet, those are essential parenting skills or life skills, but parenting skills, you know, mm -hmm. like the, oh, that was unexpected. What do we do now? <laughs> that happens a lot in parenting. That's no, sure. really? <laughs> I always like to say nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition <laughs> from the old Monty Python sketch. I'm like, oh, well, that's different. Okay. <laughs> Well, do you have anything else you want to add, like any advice you have for other people about how to establish boundaries, how to figure out what that means to them? 
I mean, I think first and foremost, even as kind people, you owe an allegiance to yourself. And you are important. And I always like to say my best piece of parenting advice is always you can't pour from an empty cup. Oh my God, yes. But that (laughs) transitions so beautifully into your like everyday kindness practice. If you're not loving yourself, if you're not caring about yourself, if you're not making sure that you eat, that you have enough time to exercise, that you have enough time for you time to do whatever you love to do, you're not going to have the capacity to give to others. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to train yourself or to retrain in my case yourself into not feeling ashamed of taking time for yourself and not feeling ashamed of doing what you love to do even if it's not what anybody else loves to do um so i guess my biggest piece of advice is like you know adjust your own oxygen mask first and then you can better help others but it's it's going to be a lifelong journey. <laughs> I preach it, but <laughs> so that's my my best piece of advice. That was wonderful. I think that's great advice. Well, thank you for being here on the Authentically Kind podcast today. It was truly a pleasure to have you. I feel like I could talk to you all day, which means you're definitely going to have to come back and be a repeat guest here with us. I think that can be arranged. <laughs> awesome. So if people want to find you, um, they can find you on Instagram at runswithfoxes716. Are there any other ways? Are you on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter. I am on Facebook, um, but I'm not very public on Facebook, so mm-hmm. it's not really the best way. So go to Instagram if you'd like exactly. to <laughs> stay in touch with Jen. And uh, thank you again so much. I think having a conversation about boundaries in the realm of kindness is really critical and I think something that we'll probably devote some future podcasts to because it feels like there's even more there that we could talk about. (laughs) All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Authentically Kind Podcast. We had a wonderful time talking with Jen and she's agreed to be a series regular so we can dive into more kindness-related topics with her. Again, remember to hit that subscribe button and leave us a positive review so we can reach even more people with our messages of non-judgment, authenticity, and kindness. See you next week.